uh, would just appreciate your, your prayers this afternoon and next Sunday night as well. So let's turn together to Proverbs chapter 1, the book of Proverbs chapter 1. If you're not familiar with where the book of Proverbs is, that, that's okay. It's kind of in the middle of the Bible, the book of Psalms. If you just open up the Bible in the middle, you will likely land in the book of Psalms and then move to your right and you'll get to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1. And if you want to use the pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 527. 527. We're going to look at verses 1 through 19 this morning, but I just want to read verses 1 through 7 to start us out. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. One of of the founding fathers of the United States, Benjamin Franklin, wrote this yearly publication for a number of years in the mid-1700s that you might have heard of. It's entitled Poor Richard's Almanac. And this book contained a little bit of everything, contained a calendar in there, contained weather forecasts, contained poems, but is best known for clever sayings that are written in there by Ben Franklin, some some of which are still float around in our language today. There were sayings like this, a friend in need is a friend indeed. And then there were other kind of cutting sayings like, the proud hate pride in others. And then some more humorous but true statements like, three, three may keep a secret if two of them are dead. And then the last one I'll share, there's a lot of good ones that you can look up online, but one, the last one I'll share with you is this, fish and visitors both stink in three days, was another statement that he put. But each year, each year, Franklin's writings were full of these clever and creative quotes that are just general observations about all areas of life. And they sound wise and they sound smart and they're generally true. But let me ask you a question, and you don't have to respond to this out loud. How many of you take a few minutes each day to read some quotes from poor Richard's almanac? Nobody. We're not all like revolving our, wake up, check your phone or watch the news, get your coffee, get your breakfast, breakfast, then sit down for a few moments with poor Richard's almanac. None of us. And we can appreciate the sayings, we can laugh at them, we can enjoy them, but they don't ultimately make a difference in our lives. And few of us sit around thinking about Ben Franklin and his clever quotes. And we're starting this new series today in the book of Proverbs that's going to take us to the end of November to when we start Advent. And as we go through Proverbs, I'm afraid many of us might throw the book of Proverbs into the same group as poor Richard's Almanac. Has a nice collection of sayings, some of which I understand, some of which I don't understand. 
and they sound good, but they don't really ultimately seem to matter for our daily lives. But I think as we go through this book together, the Lord will lead us to feel the weight of this book from the very beginning, to see that wisdom, God's wisdom specifically, speaks into our daily experience with great clarity and much-needed truth. And as we look at this first part of the book of Proverbs, our, our theme today, and maybe the theme for the whole book could be something like this, but our theme today is this, that you follow who you fear. You follow who you fear. We're going to lay a foundation for the whole book this week and next week. And then after those first two weeks, we'll see a connection to different areas of our lives from different themes that are in Proverbs. So this week and next week is the foundation. And then the weeks after that, we'll see, well, what does godly wisdom look like in technology? What does godly wisdom look like in family? What does godly wisdom look like in work? All, and more, all of which things Proverbs is speaking to. But today, as we understand what it means, you follow who you fear, I'd like to walk through these verses and answer three questions about that statement in this book. First question is this, who is this for? Who is this for? The opening verses of this book introduce us to the one who wrote Proverbs and why he wrote it. You you meet him in verse one. Look with me at verse one. The Proverbs of Solomon... Son of David, King of Israel. That first verse is similar to what a a title page would be in a book today, where it tells you who wrote it, what it's about. It it gives you somewhat of an overview of the book. And the, the word Proverbs here is just principles of truth, wise sayings from Solomon to us. And Solomon is described as the Son of David, King of Israel. There is a lot that we could talk about with Solomon. There's a lot of things we could learn and, and talk about with his life. But for the sake of our time this morning, it's important for, just, for us to just know one story. One story. In 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon has this Aladdin-like moment. You're familiar with the story of Aladdin. Aladdin discovers this magic lamp, and the genie comes out of the magic lamp and promises he will fulfill Aladdin's wishes and so, of course, Aladdin asked the Mary, to marry the most beautiful woman in the world, in the kingdom, and that's the sultan's daughter. And in case you haven't seen it, I don't want to spoil it for you, but there's like a magic carpet and a song that they sing together, and it's really special. But his wish is granted. Now, Solomon doesn't come across a magic lamp with a magic genie. It's way better than that. He is met by the all-powerful God of the universe, who comes to him in a dream and tells Solomon that he's going to give him, this is what happens in 1 Kings 3, he tells Solomon that he will give him whatever he asks for. He could ask for anything, anything. And Solomon asked the Lord for wisdom. He asked him for wisdom. He wanted wisdom so he could guide his life, so he could guide the kingdom of Israel in a wise and right way. And the Lord answered this request to, where, to the point that it says, Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all. He was the most wise man of his day. So what that tells us about this book is that the book of Proverbs is not just a collection of clever sayings from King Solomon, like poor Richard's almanac is a collection of clever sayings from Ben Franklin. It tells us that the book of Proverbs is the truth of God. 
from the mouth of God to Solomon, to us. And then he tells us why he's writing this book. This is the purpose. These are the reasons. Verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. So Proverbs is not poor Richard's almanac. Proverbs is not a book of life hacks. It's not a bunch of handy tips or a lot of little fortune cookie phrases. It's about wisdom, like he says in verse 2. It's about instruction. It's about the skill. This is how we'll define wisdom throughout this series. The skill of knowing how to live out God's word in God's world. That's wisdom. The skill of knowing how to live out God's word in God's world. We often think of wisdom as something we only need when we're making big decisions. Like we come up to a big decision about what school we're going to go to or a job decision or a family decision, financial, something big, something, the kind of decision we don't make all the time and we think, I really need wisdom here. Or we think of wisdom when it relates to godliness as just kind of answers to extra credit questions. Like we can all be Christians, but the wise people are just like the extra credit people. They're kind of the overachievers a little bit. They're the people who did all the work for the whole group when they had the group project in class. But wisdom is not like this at all. Solomon realized that we all need wisdom, and we all need wisdom every day. That's why he asked in 1 Kings 3, when he could ask God for anything, he asked for wisdom. He knew, and he's telling us in these verses and in this book, that you and I need wisdom like we need oxygen. We can't follow God in this world without it. But here's the really good news. We all need it, and it's available for anyone who wants it. God's wisdom is. Anyone who's teachable, anyone who comes to the Lord with open hands can receive his wisdom. Look what he says in verse 5. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. So in verses 2 through 6, you see mentions of the young, and you see mentions of the simple, and you see mentions of the wise. So people that are just getting started in life, people that are uninformed in life, people that already have somewhat wisdom built up through the Lord, he's saying to all of them, listen up, pay attention. You need wisdom because you follow who you fear. And now that he has our attention, he points us to the source of wisdom. And this is the the core of what we're looking at this morning. And the question we're answering here is, if this is for anyone, that's the first question, who is this for? Anyone who wants it. The second question is, what does this mean? You follow who you fear. What does this mean? Let's look at verse 7. We're going to camp out in this verse for a few minutes and learn what this means. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen to that again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the theme of the whole book. 
This is the tagline of the book of Proverbs. And it's repeated throughout the book. In chapter 2, verse 5, Solomon says, You will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. In chapter 9, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So if it's repeated over and over throughout the book, that means it's really important for us to understand. But this can be kind of a hard phrase to really understand. So let's briefly go phrase by phrase here to understand it. First first part is this. I want us to see is the Lord. Notice in most of your Bibles, Lord is probably in all caps. And and we've said this before, but I always want to keep it in front of us because it's crucial to the, the Old Testament. It's crucial to the Bible. That anytime you see Lord in all caps in your Bible, it's God's Hebrew name Yahweh or I am. When he tells Moses in Exodus 3, when Moses says, who should I tell them? sent me, and God says, I am. Tell them I am sent you. And the meaning of God's name when he gives them that name is, I am who I will be. I will be who I will be. This is the name God called himself by when he talked with Moses, and it's the name that's connected to his character. Later in the book of Exodus, in Exodus 34, God almost kind of unpacks this name for us when he says that he's a God of steadfast love and faithfulness a God of justice and holiness. So even though it's four little letters, it has huge meaning. That anytime you see that, you're seeing God's promises for his people. You're seeing God's character towards his people. Anytime you and I read Lord, we need to read this bigger picture behind it. We need to read the deeper roots that he is our God and we are his people. He has made promises and he will always keep his promises. That's the Lord that we're talking about. The next part, and this is where it can get confusing, is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Does that mean we're supposed to always be afraid of God? Is this just meaning being respectful, being reverent, being in awe of God? Those words are helpful, but I don't think any of them on their own give us a complete meaning here. Let's first understand it by saying this. Not all fear is the same. The fear you feel going into a haunted house is different than the fear you feel standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon. Different fears. So we can't apply every definition of fear into this one sentence. It's also a perfect opportunity for us to use the Bible to help us understand the Bible. There's a couple times, numerous times, where fear of God comes up in the Bible. And I just want to read a couple of them to you. In the book of Hosea, later in the Old Testament, this is Hosea 3.5. Listen to what the Lord says. He says, the children, uh, this is what Hosea prophesies, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God, listen to this part, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. They shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness. So what that means is if we come in fear to the Lord, then fear in the Lord doesn't mean it's something that drives us away from him, makes us run away. And it's, we're coming in fear to the Lord and to his goodness. Then you see in Psalm 145, he fulfills the desire of those who fear him 
And right along with that, the Lord preserves all who love him. So fearing the Lord and loving the Lord are not opposites. They're not mutually exclusive. They go together. And then I'll add one more. Psalm 130, verse 4. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So we might think of the fear of the Lord as in Dorothy and the scarecrow and the tin man approaching the great and powerful Oz and their knees are shaking and, 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 that's, and that's part of it. But then we see, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And we, we come to the Lord in fear and to his goodness. There are a lot of other verses, but I share these particular verses to show you that this kind of fear is not the kind of fear that pushes us away from God, but draws us to him. The fear of the Lord comes up repeatedly throughout the Bible. But what's beautiful is that it doesn't always come up for the same reason. It's not always in response to his holiness. It's not always in response to his greatness. Like we just saw, sometimes the fear is to his holiness. Sometimes it is to his greatness. But sometimes it's to his mercy. Sometimes it's to his love. Sometimes it's fear in response to his forgiveness. So I say all that to say that when we see these words here, the fear of the Lord, I think it's talking about our worshipful submission to God because of all that he is. Our worship, worshipful submission to God because of all that he is. We celebrate all that he is. We tremble before all that he is. So it's weighty, but it's not negative. A lot of times we think of something heavy as bad, but this is heavy, but it's really good. There's gravity to it, but there's also gladness that he's our God, the Lord. There's a verse in Psalm 89 that's been shaping our worship service this morning that embodies this really well. This is in the middle of verses 5 through 8. It says, who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. So when we say the fear of the Lord, it's not us seeing God as dangerous. It's us seeing God as glorious. There is no one like the Lord. And so we submit to his power. We submit to his goodness. We submit to his grace and to his holiness, knowing I'm completely dependent on him. And he is completely beyond me. I know I'm not giving you some nice, simple, clean definition of the fear of the Lord, but I think it's too big for us to summarize in one nice, pretty sentence. Because you follow who you fear. And in light of this, you submit to who you think is most significant. You and I obey whoever gets our attention the most. And so Solomon's pointing us to the fear of the Lord. That's who he wants us to fear and to follow. The last part of the phrase is, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of knowledge. And fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Beginning is a key word. Because he's not saying, fear of the Lord is level one of wisdom. And then you move on past that. He's saying the fear of the Lord is the source of knowledge. It's the source of wisdom. It's it's more like the ABCs are to reading. 
or numbers are to doing algebra and calculus. You never move on past it. You never leave them, but you, completely, you continually build on top of them. So wisdom starts with fearing the Lord, and wisdom grows with fearing the Lord. So as we go through Proverbs, what we're going to see is that Solomon, God through Solomon is going to teach us how to shape our lives to God's character, how to shape our relationships to reflect God's promise, how to shape our decisions to reflect God's word. But the reason he's writing this is because there's a counterside to this. We don't all just walk around these amazingly wise people who fear the Lord all the time. I don't. So that's why he says in the second part of verse 7, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Despising wisdom is the opposite of fearing the Lord. It means you think wisdom doesn't matter, God's wisdom. It's not important. It's not that big a deal. It doesn't mean that if you reject God, you don't understand anything. But it means there is no true wisdom, there's no true knowledge without a right attitude and relationship with the great I am. You and I can know things without knowing the Lord, but we can't know them completely. And we can't know them fully, and we can't know them rightly. Fools, as Solomon describes them, those who reject God and his wisdom, fools never see the big picture. You can understand science, you can understand world events, you can understand relationships, but you can't understand them fully without knowing the Lord. So this verse puts two different paths in front of us. Fearing the Lord and following him or fearing people and following them. You fear who you follow, and this leads us to the last question this morning. Why does this matter? Why does this matter? Well, with these two paths in front of us, fearing the Lord, the beginning of wisdom, or despising knowledge and instruction, rejecting the Lord, Solomon puts this example in front of us to show us why they matter. Look with me at verse 8. Here's the example where he begins to bring it down to earth where the rubber meets the road. Verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. And forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. Solomon takes the role of a father speaking wisdom to his child, and he's preparing him to face a situation that will bring him to the crossroads where he has to choose which of those two paths he's going to take. Is he going to walk down the way of wisdom? Or is he going to walk down the way of foolishness? And as we go through this, there's specifics that we could look at in these verses. But for our purposes this morning, I just want us to see the tension that's kind of simmering in the background of these verses. 
In the background is the tension of that crossroads. The words of the parent and the wisdom of God versus the peer pressure of the group and the way of foolishness. It's deeper than that in terms of fear of the Lord, fear of man. That's what's behind this whole deal. You can hear the peer pressure in verse 11. He tells his son, he says, if, in verse 10, my son, if sinners entice you, don't consent, don't follow them. Verse 11, if they say, come with us. So this is an invitation down a different path. Not the way of wisdom, but the way of the fool. It's, a, it's another way. These are the words of people who do not fear the Lord. Come with us, let us lie in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason. But then Solomon, as such a wise man, counters this. In verse 15, he says, my son, don't walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. He says, don't walk in their way because I'm going to show you where their way leads. If you start walking down their path, let me just play it forward for you and show you how this is going to play out. Don't live their lifestyle because it's not what you think it is. And he shows it through a word picture for us. Look at verse 17. He gives this little word picture. He says in verse 17, For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. He says every bird that sees a trap being set knows it's not going to fly in that area. But these foolish people, he says, they set up a trap and they walk right into it themselves. Verse 18 is where he says that. But these men lie in wait for their own blood, and they set an ambush for their own lives. Compare that to what we just read in verse 11. In verse 11, they said, come, let us wait, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. And Solomon says in verse 18, they don't even realize it, but they're lying in wait for their own blood. They're about to ambush themselves. Walking the way of the fool and following people and fearing people instead of fearing the Lord will always catch you eventually. You're setting up a trap to walk into yourself. It will be your downfall. So let these verses be a reality check for us because there's a sense in which sometimes we think, Peer pressure in this crossroads is kind of like a middle school, high school thing. It, it is, but it's not. In terms of, it's, it's every season of life, every age of life that even after you get out of middle school, high school, you just have to face it in more polished adult ways, but it's still there. So let these verses be a reality check. As Proverbs 29, 25 says this, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man, following the way of people, following the fool, lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And author and writer Jen Wilkins said this, if the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, then the fear of man is most certainly the beginning of folly. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, then the fear of man is most certainly the beginning of folly. You follow who you fear. 
Who you fear is who you give the most authority to to define who you are. Who you fear is who you give the most authority to to define what you're worth, to define what you should do and how you should do it. Who you fear is whose approval you want the most. Fearing the Lord, knowing wisdom, means God is bigger in our eyes than people are. It does not mean we don't care about people. It doesn't mean we ignore people. It doesn't mean we say things like, I don't care what other people think. I don't think that's that helpful or healthy. But it means his word is more important to us than the words of people. His word shapes us more than the words of people. It also means being known by our God is more satisfying to us than being known by whatever crowd we're trying to be known by. That's the fear of the Lord. So I would love for you to just consider and think, whose word shapes your life? The Lord's word or the words of people? There's a lot of ways that could happen, of course. Not just audible words that a friend or a parent or a coworker is saying to us, but the words and images you're seeing on social media day in, day out, the things you're watching, the things you're streaming, the things that you're listening to, how are those words shaping you? And are they shaping you more than the Lord's word is shaping you? When we think about who, how you follow who you fear, another question to consider is how do you react to the criticism of people or the praise of people? Does the criticism of people overly deflate you And does the praise of people overly inflate you? If so, we're probably fearing people more than we're fearing God. And just one more question to consider. What defines a good day for you? Pleasing people or pleasing the Lord? When you get to the end of a day and you're reflecting on it, you're sitting there at night thinking about the day or looking forward to the next day, Do you feel better if all the pleasing people boxes are checked? Or if you're thinking, I did my best to be faithful to the Lord today and relied on his grace and trusted in his faithfulness. That's all I could do. And be helpful throughout this week with prayer, with conversations with people that know you well, people in your family, people in your life class, to identify where the fear of man has hold on you. And I'm saying this to myself. I was even talking with Carrie Lynn last night that I have enjoyed and not enjoyed the study this week because it showed me stuff about my heart that I didn't really want to see, but I knew it was probably there. Fear of man is going to be with us the rest of our lives. So we have to learn how to deal with it. And we have to learn how to swap out that fear for greater fear in the Lord. As we study this book, we're going to see it is much more than just a book of clever quotes. It is way more than just a bunch of life hacks for us to think about. Because we follow who we fear, this book is placing a call on every single one of us. A call to do that exchange I just mentioned, to exchange fearing man for fearing the Lord. And may the Lord make us a people who are ruled by his truth and not people's opinions. May the Lord make us a church 
that fears him above all and because of that loves people well. May the Lord make us a church who submits to the greatness and goodness and faithfulness and mercy and justice of our God in a way that worships and celebrates him. We follow who we fear. So let's ask the Lord to cause us to fear him.